We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So I think you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Chris, thank you for coming on here to tell us all about ADUs. Um, we have Chris Dolnikowski with Rulin Design Group here today. She's going to talk to us about ADUs. And I think um, a lot of us know about ADUs, that you could add an ADU to your home, but one of the newest laws this year allows us to also add ADUs to our investment properties. And so we want to cover both today, but that was one of the most interesting uh, things. And I think it, it could create a lot of opportunity for investors as well. So we really wanted to shed light on this and uh, we appreciate you coming in today to talk to us all about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, our firm, Ruland Design Group, we specialize in accessory dwelling units. And since 2017, with the first law that came out about enabling accessory dwelling units, now the six new laws came out in January of this year. So really everything that is happening is in support of the homeowner, in support of the investor to increase affordable housing. And so I'd love to go over some of the details about what they are, how you can get one, what are the benefits, what to do with multifamily uh, zone lots, what to do with unpermitted spaces, and you know, basically what to look for and what to look out for. So Chris, before we jump in, um, I kind of want to share a success story that we had together with a client. Um, it kind of made me definitely a believer of not just in ADUs, but also is that there's no way you can get this unit permitted. There's no way, like this is crazy. So um, we had a client that asked us to help remodel a property. And I remember walking in there and there were, you know, they had a house on top and it looked like a storage unit or something on below small ceilings and I'm super tall. So I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Low ceilings. The bathroom was like super weird. And I remember, um, you were in there. Somebody's in there. I was like, there's just no way this is going to get approved. Like, no, no, no. And I was like, there's no way. And I remember coming back four weeks later, whatever you had the plans. I was like, how is this possible? So can you kind of like, just before you jump in, like walk us through our success story with you about that property and kind of some of the challenges you went through. So people have an understanding of like what we've done together. I'm one sure. of the deals. Absolutely. It's a good idea. I love that project because it was one of those, when I first saw the property, I was like, okay, uh, you know what it is. It's a house on a hillside and it, and it had a basement um, because of the hillside. The basement was just filled with junk, J just, you know, just storage, just random junk. No one really wanted to go down there. I didn't want to go down there. I was like, you know what? I don't have my boots on. Uh, we can go now. And um, we were able to take that space and create a nice one bedroom with a nice bathroom, full kitchen, an extra den space um, to really take that. And it was a 900 square foot area of yeah. junk, like literally junk, and create a completely livable one bedroom space. And was able to bring in a lot of opportunity for the homeowner to, you know, rent the house above, live in the accessory dwelling unit, and it's super close to downtown in a Sherman Heights neighborhood. So it was just a win-win to take this 
junk storage area that's not bringing in any money, not bringing in any value to create a completely usable, rentable accessory dwelling unit. And you'll show a couple of pictures later on in the slides of that unit. So, I mean, even for us, when we walked in, it was difficult to imagine how you could make the unit look like a functional space. So you guys did an awesome job with that. Um, before we get into that, I just wanted to mention to everyone um, that Chris is going to go through the slides um, right now and hold any of your questions, or you can always post them in the Q&A section down at the bottom of the screen. And after the slideshow is over, we'll go ahead and open it up for questions. So we'll answer any of your questions that you've listed in the Q&A section. It's easier to do it in the Q&A than it is in the chat. So if you have a question, please put it in that Q&A section down at the bottom of your screen. And also, I think we have a poll questions too. Yeah, we'll also post a couple of poll questions. It's just kind of for fun and it's gonna give us some information and we'll let you guys know the results of the poll uh, so that you can see kind of where you stand as well. So Chris, jump in, we'll let you go and do your thing. Fantastic, thanks so much. Let me uh, share my screen here with you. Okay, uh, got, uh, got the uh, title slide there for everybody? Yep. Fantastic. Okay, again, thanks everybody. Um, again, you know, I'm Chris Donikowski. I'm a principal and director of operations with Ruin Design Group, and we're a small women-owned firm. I've been in business for over 20 years here in San Diego, and really since the laws have changed, is focusing on accessory dwelling units. You know, with accessory dwelling units, it really creates an opportunity both for affordable housing, rental income, and a lot of the projects we do are for aging in place. Aging in place such that, you know, we have our older parents, you know, that, you know, we want to have close by, but yet have a sense of independence, have a sense of privacy, or in times like these, the college kids are back and needing a space or, training at home, you know, home office space. And a lot of that is how can we create that? And the accessory dwelling unit is a wonderful opportunity. So the accessory dwelling unit, it's a second residence. It can be uh, a 1,200 square foot. It can be attached, it can be detached. It can go above a garage or you can convert your garage. It has a full kitchen and it's legally rentable. And this particular photo that you're seeing here, this is the basement that we were talking about at the start of our discussion. So this is now a really cute space that is very, very rentable. It has the little patio, it has the full kitchen, and that was essentially a very scary basement before. And now it's converted into a 900 square foot accessory dwelling unit. So lots of opportunities there. And a lot of people are looking at properties and be like, well, where can I put one? Yeah, I don't have a lot of room. I don't have a flat backyard. There's still a lot of chances. So the easiest is converting a garage, whether that garage is attached or detached, convert the garage is the easiest. The structure is already there. You can go above your garage. You can have a new detached unit. You can attach it to your home. Uh, me in particular, I've been telling people that, hey, you need an ADU. And I was sitting in my backyard about a year ago, and I looked at my backyard and said, I need an ADU. So I finally decided where I'm going to go above my garage. I live in North Park. The rents are just incredible here in North Park. And I wanted to keep the garage for the value. And then 
actually also to create a home office space and then put the ADU above the garage. So definitely lots of opportunity to take advantage of space that you have on hand. The things that we're seeing in the marketplace and both in the legislation is now is the time. You know, the new state laws have come out, six new state laws, all making it easier for the investor or the homeowner. The state, the city, county, county of San Diego, all the municipalities are basically relaxing the building code to address lack of affordable housing. And the opportunities are there. The challenge is though, that the state laws are still flowing out and being interpreted by the local municipalities. You know, the good news is, again, you have the increased size, you have reduced parking requirements, you have reduced setbacks, which is one of the biggest things that came out with a change in laws. But each municipality is interpreting the state law slightly differently, which is part of the challenges. You know, uh, for instance, City of San Diego has very different um, specifications than Escondido, which is different than County, which is different than Chula Vista. So knowing where the property is goes a long way to determine what challenges or what benefits that we can have happen with the ADUs. The thing though is that the State Housing Commission is now basically the arm at the state level that says the cities must comply with the new state laws. Uh, we have seen in the past uh, municipalities kind of digging in their heels and digging in their heels to make it difficult for homeowners. And I look at the new six laws that came out in January and as I look through them, I'm like, I know who they were talking to. You know, I know who they were going after. Um, one of the benefits that came out was no owner occupancy. So from now till 2025, the accessory dwelling unit does not have any owner occupancy requirements. In 2025, they're gonna reevaluate that. So we'll see if the, you know, things change, but right now no owner occupancy required. So it makes it a tremendous opportunity for investors. The development impact fees, this one in particular, I was like, they must've been looking at Chula Vista. Um, for example, last year we were working on a project. It was a single family residential unit. Um, the adult uh, woman, her parents were living in the main house. She was living with them, wanted an ADU so she could be close by them and give you know some help and hand, but have her own space. About a 500 square foot little cottage we created for her. City of Chula Vista, their permit fees that included the development impact fee, $22,000. And we're like, what part of affordable is that? So thankfully in 2020, the new state laws came through that said if you're under 750 square feet, zero development impact fee, which is part of your permit fees. Uh, City of San Diego, for instance, already waived their development impact fee. So no matter if you're 500 square feet, if you're 750 square feet or 1200 square feet, no development impact fees. Another opportunity that came up is having two accessory dwelling units on one property. The caveat is one of them has to be a junior accessory dwelling unit, and that does require owner occupancy. So it might be ideal for a family that wants to have, you know, either their college kid nearby, but in their own space, or their aging parent nearby, and yet still have a rental property. So a single family zoned residence can have an accessory dwelling unit 
and they can have a junior accessory dwelling unit as long as that is coming within the existing home. And these six laws apply across the entire state. Across the entire state they apply. And the goal is though that still local municipalities are implementing the state laws ever so slightly different. And I'll talk about a couple examples of that as I go through. One of the things I wanted to talk the most about today is about multifamily zone lots. So the multifamily zone lots are a tremendous um, improvement from the previous law that says if you've got a multifamily zone lot, the potential is there to add one or more accessory dwelling units. Again, not having owner occupancy requirements. And I have some more details coming up. Also, four foot setbacks. So four foot setbacks are quite um, useful if you have a smaller lot that you can then you know, take advantage of as much space as possible. For instance, the county last year had a 10 foot setback and now they're going at the four foot setback. And also HOAs. HOAs could not say no. So with HOAs, in the past they could re, you know, reject an ADU. Now they could not say no. They may require you to conform to their look and feel and things like that, but they can't say no. With the multifamily zone lots, you know, a lot of people, uh, I live in North Park, there's a lot of multifamily, a lot of RMs around the city of San Diego and around the area. Our focus there is the best and highest use. So it's looking at the property and then determining how many units exist on the property. What's the best and highest use? How many units can we have? How many bedrooms can we have? How many parking spaces are required? There is definitely a lot of parking considerations with multifamily units. Uh, I'm gonna talk in a minute here about some parking requirements and um, restrictions. And our goal for multifamily zone lots is to be able to look at the lot, increase the investment value, and get as much rent as possible. And working with the owner to determine with the demographic of the, the units, is it number of bedrooms, is it number of units? To some people, you know, four studios is more valuable than two two bedrooms. So working with the owner to figure out what is the best and highest use and then getting that <clears throat> design created. Here's an example. This is in the city of San Diego. This is in the Talmadge area and it's zoned multifamily. Zoned multifamily, it has six units, six existing units, and it has four detached garages that you see in the back there. With that, we were able to work with the city and get their acceptance to do add two accessory dwelling units. So we can take that apartment building of six units and create eight rentable units out of that by going above the existing garages. So tremendous opportunity in terms of taking value that was not really being utilized and go up above the garages, or you can also convert the garages as well to then maximize the number of units. Chris, I have a question for you. There's somebody mentioned in the chat that they recently pulled out of three potential deals in the 92115 zip code because of the neighborhood resistance of investment properties not being a primary house and that making it a challenge for ADUs. Are you seeing anything like that or are you noticing, seeing more flexibility with getting ADUs approved? 
Well, uh, if I'm thinking 92115 is City of San Diego, if I'm yes. thinking. Um, so City of San Diego is actually one of the best municipalities. So they're one of the easiest to work with in terms of um, permits, in terms of cost of permits, uh, in terms of requirements. You know, City of San Diego already waived a lot of the um, permit fees. So neighborhood resistance, you know, we want to keep our neighbors happy, but if you get a permit, they can't say anything. You know, um, I live in 92104, and uh, in North Park, I have my cranky neighbor right next to me. And of course, it's on this side where my garage is. So the first thing I did was survey my property, because I'm like, if I'm putting a unit above my garage, is my neighbor going to be cranky? Are they going to yell at me? Are they going to call the city on me? And so I confirmed that, yep, indeed, that my garage is on my property by two and a half feet, and that's allowed with the city of San Diego. And then I also noticed a fence that she put up a couple years is actually on my property. So, <laughs> like, and she parks on my property. She parks on two and a half feet of my property. So, you know, when I have to do construction and I have to put scaffolding on like her side, even though it's going to be on my property, I'm I'm going to casually use the by the way, this is my property, and by the way, you're parking on it, but hey, you know what, if I could put my scaffolding up here for a couple months while we do the build, by all means, go ahead and park here. You, know, so you have that cranky neighbor, but if you get a permit, they can't say anything. Um, so that's kind of the good thing about getting a permit to do the, the accessory dwelling unit, and I have some information on what to do with those unpermitted units, because a cranky neighbor can ruin your day for an unpermitted unit. Um, and I'll talk about how to make your day better if you've got that cranky neighbor complaining to the city about your unpermitted um, dwelling or garage conversion. And, you know, in terms of looking at existing structures, there's a couple other questions about converting a one bedroom unit into a two bedroom unit. Uh, there, it all depends on size. You know, when we're looking at the design, when we're looking at the space, is there are certain bedroom requirements uh, and you know we look at that and we try and figure out how to maximize the space if it makes sense to create two bedrooms or if it makes sense to keep it as one bedroom unit uh, garage conversions for instance people think oh my god they're so small they're only 400 square feet typically for a two-car garage we make a one bedroom and so your your property value is higher by having a one bedroom your rental income is higher by having a one bedroom typically and so, you know, we've got some design tips and tricks so that, you know, it makes it feel more spacious and we take advantage of built-in storage and, and things like that. But there's an opportunity to create multiple bedrooms in relatively small spaces where you wouldn't think. Just quick, quick question on this particular property. Uh, I'm looking at it. What was the parking requirements? An accessory dwelling unit, which I have a slide coming up in a little bit about parking requirements. Two, two of the big things that drive parking are how big your unit is and how close you are to public transit. So if you're within a half mile of walking distance, it has to be walking distance, of public transit, zero parking requirement. Uh, if you're under 500 square feet, zero parking requirement. Um, if you convert your garage into an accessory dwelling unit, and it's under 500 square feet, you don't have to worry about parking. 
so, you know, this particular unit here uh, in the Talmadge area was close to El Cajon and was close to a bus stop. So did not have to worry about additional parking requirements. Okay, great. One, some of the other changes that came in uh, in 2020 was about solar. So as a Californian, love solar. I have solar on my home. As a homeowner, I'm like, ooh, okay, you're gonna make me put solar on my house now? Um, it's, it's a 15 plus thousand dollar adventure. So the new state law says a new detached dwelling, whether that be an accessory dwelling unit or a home or any new detached building, has to have solar. The good news is if we convert a permitted structure or attach it to a permitted structure, you don't have to add solar. So we can convert the garage, we can go above the garage, we can attach it to your home, we can attach it to the back of your garage, side of your garage, and not have to add solar. You know, some homeowners are, you know, really concerned about cost. You know, some investors are like, I gotta keep the cost on the down low. And, you know, with that is then we attach it. We attach it and then you don't have to worry about solar. So ways, ways to work with that. So a lot of conversations have come up about unpermitted spaces. And I kind of already started talking about some of that. What's the problem with unpermitted spaces? You can get ratted out by that cranky neighbor. So it's a cranky neighbor syndrome. Unfortunately, everyone has one. Um, what, what happens is the building department has to respond to the cranky neighbor complaint and you have to do something. And so what we can do with the unpermitted spaces is, you know, the building departments know there's hundreds and probably thousands of units out there that are unpermitted. It's no big secret where they are. I mean, the running joke is you walk down an alleyway and knock on garage doors and see who answers. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just kind of how it is. Um, the building departments get that, you know, um, the building departments have a very big quota in terms of housing that they must meet and they need our help in terms of homeowners and investors to create more housing and by doing that the building departments are encouraging these unpermitted spaces to get permitted and that checks their quota of saying oh looky i'm providing housing look how awesome i am as a as a city and you get to avoid the cranky neighbor syndrome they can't say anything anymore and you get to realize the equity, you know, by having a permitted unit, you get to realize that rental income by having a legally permitted unit. What happens is the building department's looking for two big things. They are looking for health and safety. So for safety, they want, uh, if it has a bedroom, a window that is safe for fire egress. So it's absolutely critical that it's safe to exit in case of a fire. Health-wise, does it have heat? Does it have heat? Does it have a working sink, working kitchen, working bathroom? You know, so uh, they have to be able to meet those minimum requirements. So there might be a little bit of construction that you need to bring a couple things up to code, but the building departments were seeing to be quite flexible and they want these permitted. And if you get a code violation by that cranky neighbor, we can help you then get that unit converted. The building departments still want you to go through the whole process. They want to see a set of plans. Even if the unit has been converted 20 years ago, someone's been living in it forever, it's like perfectly fine. The building department still wants the full set of plans. 
they want you to they want to look at the details they want you to go through the full permit processing and a lot of people are like Ooh, I'm scared of the building department. Are they going to make me tear it down? Am I poking the bear? You know, am I stirring up the bees nest that is right now calm? You know, it's a tough call. And I think it's, it's really comes down to your situation, your individual situation, because if you've got a nice unit, you know, quote unquote, nice, where it does have a working kitchen and bathroom and does have heat, why not go for it? You know, if you've got a unit that was built like like as if i built the adu then you then you have some concerns for worry you don't want to put a hammer in my hand there's a reason i'm on the design side so you know i think you really need to look at your unit and see you know see how functional it is we've been able to you know take code violations and get them permitted we've been able to take units that have been converted 20 years ago someone's been living in it forever and get them converted in a, as an accessory dwelling unit. So we've had success, but you know, let's talk because it, I hope what you're hearing in today is everything is is a potentially maybe depending on your exact property. So there's no black and white answers that we can give you because the building department is the one that controls that. But we can help you navigate that and look at if there are any red flags. But the good news is, is that it sounds like the city is being encouraged by the state to provide housing and therefore are probably more lenient than maybe they were previously about allowing these ADUs. A, a thousand percent, that's what we're seeing. You know, um, we have heard horror stories in the past of inspectors wanting to rip out drywall, rip out the bathroom so they can see how it connects to the store. We have seen none of that. So not on a single one of the existing structures that we've got permitted has the inspector come out and said, oh my God, rip all this out so I can see what's going on. Um, they ask a lot of questions. They want to, you know, they want, you know, some verification. They want to make sure, you know, electrical outlets are grounded, you know, things like that. But we've not seen massive, you know, rip everything out. You know, it doesn't mean it can't happen, but we've yet to see a single occurrence. And, you know, we've designed over 100 ADUs. We've got over 65 ADU projects in the work right now, and we just haven't seen it. I would say too, just in my experience with you on the project in Sherman Heights, uh, once we got to the construction phase and we were meeting with the inspector uh, for our regular inspections, um, he was extremely easy to work with and more about let's get it done than trying to you know, wield his power or have us rip things out or be, you know, he's very flexible. So we had a very positive experience with that. Wonderful. And also, you know, with COVID-19 and, and all the challenges we're having right now, building department is attempting to do uh, virtual site inspections in some cases, you know, so they're using FaceTime or Zoom or pictures and other, you know, means to, instead of being on site, to, excuse me, to look at things, you know, so I still think there's a lot of opportunity in working with the building department to take these unpermitted units and take advantage of it. Chris, so um, I know we got questions coming in. I'm going to jump into some of these other questions we have. Um, so somebody on here might have a multifamily property that was built a long time ago. They have an office on there. It, it's maybe being used, not being used, or currently being used as an unpermitted unit. Um, have you been tasked with a project like this yet? And if so, 
If not, what's your kind of thoughts on that? I'm sorry, so an existing unit that's being used like as an office and want to get that permitted? Yeah, so let's say somebody, like in our case, we have a 30-unit building. The one unit was an old office that really there's no, you don't need an office. There's just, it doesn't need to be there. But yeah. they converted a while ago and it's been used as a studio, looks like a studio, acts like a studio. Um, there's no need to turn an office. What's your thoughts on getting something like that converted? The potential is there. It depends okay. on a few things. Um, it depends on where. So the, the local building department, you know, as I mentioned, each building department is slightly different. Even though the state law says you shall do this, the building departments are like, okay, but I'll do this slightly differently. Um, so it depends on your municipality. It depends on what you're zoned for and the density, you know, so your lot size, what you're zoned for, the floor area ratio comes into play, things like that, um, the number of units that you have. Uh, I wish I could say that there was an equation that can be used to say, if your density is X and your lot size is Y and you have Z number of units, you can have an ADU. I, I wish that was the case. It's still too new. Uh, it just could be, the ability just happened in January. And uh, as, as you've seen, our, our first couple months, our first quarter and second quarter of January of this year are quite interesting. So the building departments have not necessarily caught up with the new state laws. They have to but they're not quite there yet. So there's no absolutely yes, you can do that, but we're happy to take a look at that property. If you want to, you know, send me the address, we can again see, or you can always reach out to the building departments and ask them directly. Uh, building departments are open. They are actually open and uh, you just have to deal with them differently. So it's mostly by email and by phone calls. You can't go in and sit down with a planner and ask them and then, you know, about a property but that might be the easiest way to to get some quick information from the city okay cool and then the last question on the unpermitted is we talked about let's say somebody is looking to buy a property it's a three unit there's an unpermitted fourth unit um they kind of want to do some due diligence to say am i going to be able to you know convert this into adu um what's your kind of recommendation on that if they want to hire you timeline cost anything like that Sure. The, the easiest first step is to reach out to your local building department um, and, and get some of their feedback. Uh, the building department, when you do get a hold of them, sometimes the answers are clear and you're like, oh, okay, that was a yes or that was a no. And sometimes the information you get is quite cryptic. Uh, the, the building department, they like to make it complicated. And, and I, I remember the first time I went down to the building department, um, and this was like several years ago now, one of the guys I talked to, an older gentleman, and he was like, well, did you look at the code? And I'm like, if the code was clear, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you, now would I? <laughs> I was like, you know, let me take a step back here and say, actually, you know, I did look at the code and it wasn't clear, so you, can you help me? So the building department may give you some useful information, they may give you some cryptic information, um, or they may ignore you for a long period of time. Um, so first step, reach out to the building department. Second step, reach out to me um the address the address and kind of what you have you know how many units are existing what's converted you know how big your lot is uh, give me that kind of information to work with and then i can do some more poking i have some access to some zoning information and some personal maps and 
and things like that that I can do a little bit of preliminary due diligence to kind of get a little bit better feel. But then it does come down to um, the final answer of the building department. Okay. So basically you can give someone a good idea of what they could possibly do with their property. But of course there's no guarantees because the law is new and because there's a lot of things that you've got to check yeah, on as you move forward uh, and working with the city as well. Yeah, I mean the building department, they are the ones that are gonna say yes or no. And that yes is your stamp on your plans with your permit. I mean, that, that's the reality that we're all dealing with. The final answer is the building department stamping your plans. Um, we can give you a preliminary approximation. We can give you feedback from the city. Um, we can interface with the city, show them your plans, show them what you want to do. But that final answer does come from the building department. Uh, I've got some good news coming up about, say, for instance, the city of San Diego. And, you know, as I mentioned, we've designed over 180 U's. Um, zero have been denied permits, you know. So, uh, we have seen the building departments really wanting to do things and the only times the permits, you know, haven't been issued is, you know, the one person sold their house when we were in the middle of design and was like, well, never mind. And like the Chula Vista project I talked about, they just at the time last year could not afford a $22,000 permit. So, you know, they just put their project on hold and now we're looking to refresh that now that the laws have changed. So we've had zero permits denied. Um, but you know, there have been half, there had to be modifications along the way. Okay. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, parking just real quick. And uh, also for those of you that may have heard about some of the pre-approved plans. And uh, right now um, our focus is in San Diego, but if you're looking for help in LA, I can point you in that direction as well for those uh, investors that are looking to extend beyond the San Diego area. With parking, you know, parking is always a, a big challenge. Um, if you're under 500 square feet and you add an ADU, don't have to add parking. If you're within a half mile of that bus stop, don't have to worry about parking. A lot of people though, is, is in terms of rental amenities, they wanna add a parking space because they can charge more rent. They're like, hey, I've got off street parking, never hundred bucks to your rent. You know, so we like to design in parking just because it's, it's such a benefit for rental, you know, if it's for your 90 year old mother, she's probably not driving, or at least I hope she's not driving too much. So you might not need that parking space, but if you're renting it out and you live down in PB, oh hell, people will pay a lot of money for a parking space, you know? So that's where, you know, it helps to have that. And also county pre-approved plans. Uh, I'm sure, uh, hopefully a lot of you have heard about them. And we've looked at them and, and talked with the city and county and also Encinitas has the pre-approved plans at, at great length. You know, I gotta tell you, it's kind of one of those things, I equate the pre-approved plans to the concept of like wanting to clean your toilet with a toothbrush. It's like, you know what? You can absolutely clean it with a toothbrush, but is that what you wanna do? So for instance, the county plans, they have a, I believe it's a thousand square foot, three bedroom, one bath unit. I don't know a single person that wants a three bedroom, one bath unit. And one of their plans was a 600 square foot unit that was a studio. I'm like, 600 square feet and you didn't want to put up a wall to create a one bedroom? I'm like, yeah, you, not so much. 
Um, so they're great for some people, and I'll give you two scenarios where they're great. And they're great if it's a rental property, if you have hard money, if you're vomiting cash every single day, it's a flat backyard, and you just need that unit, you just need that rental income today, then it might be a good you know, option for you. Or the one other case that we worked with, um, a homeowner uh, had to bring uh, his mother-in-law to live with them because she was having some challenges living on her own. And it's like, oh my God, she's under my roof right now. How quickly can you get that ADU? You know, so that's when it's, it might be a good option for you, but is it worthwhile? What are you saving? The, the county pre-approved plans, the city pre-approved plans, you're saving two things. You're saving a little bit on the cost for the engineering and you're saving a little bit on the time for the permit processing. So is that worth it to you? And that's what you kind of have to answer. Uh, you know, with all of our designs, I, I mentioned we did the 100 we already have done and the 60 plus that we're doing right now, none of them are pre-approved plans. You know, we had one client come to us and says, oh my God, I love Encinitas Plan B. We're like, okay, great, not a problem. We'll do the details that the city wants to, to use that. But we sat down with him and he's like, yeah, so the front door, well, that's facing my master bedroom. So move the front door on the other side. And that window, that's too big. It's staring at my backyard, make that a little higher, make it a little bit more, you know, more privacy. And I was like, that's no longer the standard plans. You know, so the second you go to change anything, like moving a door, moving a window, making it bigger, making it smaller, you just, you just, you know. Just change the plan. Change the plans. So, they're great for some people, but that number of some people is, is quite low. Chris, uh, one thing before we move on, can you go ahead and post the poll questions you have hosting ability on your side? Sure. Where can I find the poll questions? I think down at the bottom. I, they're already there and they just need to be posted. Gotcha. Uh, oh, there we go. And I've got them right here. Um, should I launch the polling? Is yep. So you launch it and then we'll go ahead and answer those questions and we'll read off the results. Um, we can read off the results before we open up the Q&A. Fantastic. Okay. It is launched and in the works there. Um, so just to kind of wrap up on the next couple of slides here, some good news. You know, so again, good news is building departments are open, you know, even with the virus and situations happening, they are opening. We've submitted plans, we've pulled permits, they are working. We just have to reach them more via email and via phone calls. Um, the city of San Diego has not turned down a single ADU application. So if you're worried about, oh my God, what about my unpermitted unit? What's the city gonna say? City of San Diego has not turned down a single application. That doesn't mean to say they haven't made, you know, some changes have to happen, but they haven't turned down a single one. And just to show you a couple cool um, examples, these are designs that we've done, this particular one, really focusing on opening up to the backyard, a very green kind of open solution, kind of creating very quiet livable space, but yet open to the backyard and really kind of focusing on bringing the outdoors in. This particular project here is Steep Hillside, Steep Hillside in La Jolla. And the homeowner, amazing house, beautiful views overlooking the shores. And he's like, I want an ADU. And I'm like, okay, we can work with the hillside. And uh, with the hillside, uh, we built it into the hillside, extended it out, took advantage of the views. And he 
is planning on renting it for over $4,000. So really some opportunities there. You know, I, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir, but ADUs add value. You, you know, we've had an example in North Park where, you know, one comp and two comp, you know, one with an ADU, one without $165,000 difference, you know, the, the values there. And what to look for, it's single family zoned, multifamily zoned, detached garages, long driveways, uh, municipalities that are easier to work with, City of San Diego, County of San Diego, Encinitas, uh, La Mesa a little bit, um, areas that are more challenging, places like Coronado, uh, not, not exactly uh, big fans. Um, so, you know, things like that in terms of what to look for. And, and Chris, I wanted to mention too, real quick, um, we did also do some research on the multifamily side since that's primarily what we do is multifamily financing and we also own apartments. So I, uh, we did reach out to one of the appraisers that appraises most of the apartment buildings in San Diego. I mean, it's probably appraised 90% of the buildings and he works with all the lenders that we work with and things. So um, his comment was that if he, um, if we had a apartment building with an approved ADU that was legal square footage, had legal square footage, he would include that as a unit in the value. So I know that there have been, we, we discussed lightly on one to four unit projects, depending on the appraiser you get, it could vary with your, your appraised value. But on the apartment side, I feel like a lot of apartment uh, owners, investors, lenders, and appraisers understand the investment property aspect of these things. So um, I did get confirmation that he would actually include the ADU as a unit in the value. And we also took it a step further to confirm with the majority of our lenders, uh, the majority of our lenders would also allow that income to count towards qualifying for your loan amount. So they would recognize that income, which is huge uh, because that would add value to your building. And it would also allow you to get more loan dollars uh, if you have an approved ADU on your property. So. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's, that's wonderful because appraisers are, are pretty critical in terms of valuation, you know, and you want to make sure your appraiser knows what an ADU is and be like, Oh, it's a remodel. No, it's right. not a remodel. So very important to get that appraiser that's used to multifamily units, that's used to adding more density and, and being familiar with that. That's fantastic. Um, there's a bunch of questions popping up about costs. And so I'm going to cover the costs right now. So thank you. That's a perfect lead in uh, to Matthew and Scott and so forth. So with that, you've got three, three big buckets of things that happen. The design, the permitting with the building department and the construction. So with your design, that's, that's where we come in. You know, we're an architectural firm. Uh, we are an architectural firm. We do design, we do everything from I want one to here's your permits. And our focus is with the due diligence, the design, the detailed construction documentation, structural engineering, Title 24, the energy requirements. That time frame, typically, again, it depends on everybody, about three-ish months to get from I want one to let's get to the building department. It can vary widely depending on how quickly the owner makes design decisions, but that's just kind of some typical, typical times. Permits, that's with the building department. Building department, as I mentioned, they are open. They are not flying at the speed of light. So a lot of people have heard, oh, my ADU is gonna get approved in 60 days. I would love that to happen. 
And what that means is there is one department in the building department that is the thumbs up or the thumbs down on you can have your ADU. That one department has 60 days to say yes or no, or it's automatically said yes. The other departments still have to go through their review, especially like if you have a two-story unit or you're building above an existing garage, like the example I showed earlier, where there's a lot of structural engineering involved. Their review is gonna take time, and that's not gonna happen in 60 days. So permits with the city, uh, all the building departments, we were doing looking at some averages, three to four months at the building department, and that might be a little bit generous, depending on which building department we're working with. Um, if you're in Coastal Commission, Coastal Commission, we do a lot of Coastal Commission projects, absolutely takes longer. Uh, we have heard that uh, City Council is going to be voting on, or at least discussing, Coastal Commission and ADUs, but that may happen in the fall and definitely uh, still unknown about what that impact is going to have to the Coastal Commission fees and process. With your construction, so once you get your permits, you got your construction, cost-wise, about $250 a square foot. So if you want to create a brand new thousand square foot, one story ADU on a flat area, uh, we have several multifamily uh, apartment buildings where we are creating uh, low smaller sale size ADUs in the kind of playground area that's um, as part of the apartment complex. And you're $250 a square foot cost wise. So to kind of walk you through the cost, again, give you estimates, these are ballparks. It, you know, everything comes down to the exact project that we're working with. Ballpark for design, and that's our scope that covers everything from the design all the way through permit processing. Depends on the scope between, you know, 10,000 to 14 or 15,000 if we're doing a complicated multi-unit design. Uh, permit fees, permit fees, based on size. So city of San Diego, county of San Diego have some of the lowest permit fees. For a thousand square foot unit, your permit fee might be around five, $6,000. Um, other building departments, Chula Vista, uh, they're a little bit easier to work with now with the new laws, but if you're over that 750 range, the uh, building permit becomes a little bit more expensive. So we do a lot of designs that are 749 square feet. Um, so, you know, there's another cutoff of 500 square feet for school fees. So again, we do a lot of 498 square feet units um, to avoid those fees. So we work with you to make it as cost effective and economical as possible. And again, construction costs looking about $250 a square foot on average. And just to, to wrap up, so we have some more time to look at some specific questions. We're here to help you. You know, we're, we're here to help you navigate how you can get an ADU, does it make sense, how to figure out what the building department's going to allow, how, get through the design, get through the permitting, how to find a contractor, you know, so feel free to reach out to us. Um, I'm very happy to uh, help and support. You know, our goal is to make you more valuable such that your investment property or your home can bring more value to you. Great. I had a quick question too before um, we had had some people e emailing questions um, prior to this. So will would a, will a property be automatically reassessed after you complete an ADU? 
Great question, because a lot of people worried about property taxes. So yes, there will be a, a reassessment, but the reassessment is on the value that you added. So the whole property is not gonna be reassessed. It's what's called a blended assessment. And uh, the one example we are working with a homeowner in South Park had an existing studio apartment that was illegal. And uh, we converted that into an ADU. Her property tax is a, a, about like a 450 square foot unit, not, not super big. And uh, her property tax went up $168 a year. So that, that is definitely, um, property taxes will be you know, affected, but we haven't seen massive uh, changes. Okay, and then um, before we start jumping into all the questions, can you quickly post the polls and see what the answers were? Sure thing. Wow, we've got 33 people um, that voted, so awesome. And I'm gonna share the results. Okay, sorry. Can everyone see that or? Yes, I, I can see it. So do you have any unpermitted property uh, units on any of your properties? 30% of people said yes and 70% of people said no. So that's a pretty good percentage of people who do have unpermitted units on their property. And then do you have a five plus unit property that you would wanna add an ADU? 36% of people said yes, and 21% uh, or 64% of people said no. Um, and then the last one uh, we were very curious about, and it's nice to know this, would an unpermitted uh, unit deter you from purchasing a property? 36% of people said that that would deter them from purchasing a property. So as you can see, it definitely helps the marketability of your property, not only the value, but the marketability, because a lot of people are uncomfortable purchasing properties with unpermitted units. Yep, um, just a couple things I wanna jump in here uh, to back on Crystal. When it comes to one to four finance financing and um, how Fannie and Freddie looks at this, that's who I'm talking about, not talking about if it's a private bank or something, the ADU will be counted, the square footage will be counted, but Fannie and Freddie today do so. If you have a two unit and you add a third unit, they, will, they do not look at it as a three unit property. They look at it as two units with an ADU. So yes, the appraiser can use that value and they can take the value into consideration. But if you're looking to use rental income to um, offset or qualify, they will not use that because Fannie Mae looks at one, two, three, four units. They just look at the four units or the three units or two, they do not consider an ADU as an actual unit. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention about appraisals, Chris, that you brought up, just to dive in a little bit more so people understand is we've had, um, I've had an appraisal prior from a client that came in much higher and another appraiser came in much lower. So some appraisers are definitely way more conservative and will not give you value. And you're like, wait a second, I spent $200,000 to build this and you're giving me 50,000. And then sometimes someone will give you that number. So if you are going to get an appraisal and they're coming out, you need to make sure that you have that conversation with this person up front. Have you done ADUs? How do you value them before they just go out and do an appraisal and you get upset? So I just wanted to make that comment about that before we jump into um, the questions or anything else, Crystal. Perfect. Awesome. So I think we should start jumping into some of the questions and we can start, I'll start um, answering some of these. So the first question is, um, someone has a two unit building, can the layout be changed to legally convert it to four units? I, I love the questions, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it really comes down to which um, municipality are you in? 
what are you zoned for? What is your existing density? What is your lot size? You know, so uh, there's uh, a litany of questions and requirements to work through. You know, but it's not a definite no, in other words. You know, potentially, it, it may, the definite no is gonna come from the building department, but you know, if you've got two units, uh, say for instance, city of San Diego, we have uh, two projects actually that are currently zoned single family. They have two existing units and they wanna convert the garage. The city of San Diego is allowing them to convert the garage. We have one project, it is um, a fourplex and the city of San Diego is allowing them to add an ADU, but that ADU must be part of the existing unit. You know, so if there is a laundry room, we can convert the laundry room. Um, one apartment building had a clubhouse and we're converting the clubhouse into an ADU. As I mentioned, a couple of the apartment buildings have like a play area, like a little picnic area where, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but we're converting that into an ADU. I'm like, sorry, kids. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the picnic area. So I'm like, yeah. Ooh, yeah. But, you know, it's more valuable to the homeowner or to the property owner to have that rental income than the rent that they can get by saying, hey, I've got a picnic area for you. So, so when a, as an example, I think what he might be asking is, um, let's say you have a two-unit building that's two two-bedrooms. Could you essentially take like divide up that space and make it two one bedrooms plus two one bedroom ADUs like the existing footprint and maybe change the layout to add more units? It, it's possible. I mean, really, it's, it's possible. It's possible. It definitely definitely comes down to your zone um, in terms of the number of ADUs because that that's one of the biggest thing that drives the number of ADUs is how you zone. So he should reach out to you about his specific scenario. Yeah. Okay. And the details of the address and how big the lot is and all that good stuff. Okay. So the next one is, are these six new laws for California or for all of California or just San Diego County? Yeah. So these are the statewide laws, statewide laws, all six of them. Um, they each local municipality and there's like about 20, 21, 22 of them in the San Diego area are each interpreting the state law slightly differently. City of San Diego, for instance, is more lenient than the state law. Um, other areas are barely complying with the state law. Um, so, you know, we're seeing differences. Uh, for instance, Poway, the maximum size ADU you can have is 1,500 square feet. So they're going above and beyond the state law. And um, the owner occupancy comment that I made earlier, um, if you do an ADU now between now and 2025, you're grandfathered in for the owner occupancy. You do not need owner occupancy for an accessory dwelling unit. In 2025, they're supposed to vote about it again. So, you know, no idea what they're going to do with it, but, you know, they're, they're going to reevaluate it in 2025. But in the meantime, you're good to go. Okay. And the next question is in regards to apartments in LA. Should we go ahead and just defer them to someone who would be better to answer that? Or can you answer questions in LA County? Um, LA County has, again, their own specific uh, interpretation of the state law but we can definitely connect you to um, some colleagues that um, work in LA as well, or again, reach out to the LA building department. Okay, so Monty, can you make a note just to um, send that contact information over to Chris and then she can make that connection That's to the architect. 
Um, okay, so the next question, can a one-bedroom unit be formally converted to two-bedroom unit? Depends on how big it is. Okay. You know, so, you know, there, there are minimum requirements for a bedroom. And again, windows say for egress, so it depends on, you know, how big it is, how big the overall area of the unit is to create a two-bedroom out of it. Okay. If it's that would be more considered in a remodel than than an ADU. Yeah. Okay. Um, next question: Do you have any information about Oceanside and Vista as far as how they are in ADUs? Sure. Oceanside's pretty flexible. Pretty flexible. Um, we have several projects in Oceanside. Um, the building department is pretty easy to work with, and so that's coming along pretty well. City of Vista. Um, the Vista area up there, there's a lot of county properties that are Vista, uh, and then there's City of Vista. So, City of Vista, they're not exactly the friendliest for accessory dwelling units. Wow. You know, they, they're, they're coming along. Again, they have to follow the state law, but they can complain about it a lot. Um, county of San Diego, which is a lot of the area uh, in the surrounding area around Vista, much easier to work with. Okay, next question. What if the dwelling is on wheels and on land with all hookups in place? Still considered an RV? <laughs> I love the tiny house movement. I mean, there's so many crazy, exciting things happening there with the, the, the cute little itty bitty homes and on wheels, but then you attach it to the home. Um, if you're on wheels, if you're on some sort of chassis, it, it's still considered a DMV, RV kind of thing. Um, there is supposedly some movement in the building departments about tiny homes, but you have to be on a fixed foundation. So you have to be on a fixed foundation and have fixed utilities and all that kind of stuff. But that's still very much in the work and is not, it's not set in stone yet with the latest code. Okay. Um, will this be recorded to be viewed afterwards? Yes, we will be sending this out in the next couple of days so that you can come back and use this as a reference. So absolutely, we'll be emailing it out to all participants. Um, next question, what percentage of your properties are for people doing ADUs on their primary residence versus investment properties? I would say, probably about 60-40. I, I think right now about 60-40 on um, 60 primary home and then 40 investment properties. And but do you think part of that's because of the new law? I mean, it's very recent that you can do investment properties. It, it's a new law. It's um, very recent. I mean, the whole ADU in general is very recent. And I think, you know, so much of our business comes from referrals that you know, it's it's typically the homeowner to the neighbor, and the neighbor is like looking in their backyard, and be like, "Hey, what are you doing over there?" It's like, "Oh, I want one." Um, so it, it's kind of a little bit like that. Um, so right now, it's about sixty forty. Okay. Next question: If if you do two ADUs that are each less than five hundred square feet, do you still have no parking requirement? Probably yes. Um, again, I'm saying probably because, you know, let's, let's look at your exact um, building department that you're working with and your exact address and your density. If you have, you know, other multi-units, you know, is that going to drive parking versus the ADU parking? But in general, if you have an ADU that's under 500 square feet, you do not have to have parking. Okay, perfect. 
would wouldn't an HOA board have the right to say no to a unit owner who wants to do an ADU on the property? I'm assuming condos here, even with a permit, they would require the HOA to write off on it. The HOA needs to approve it. Um, per the state law, they can't say no, but I'm sure there's a thousand stipulations of what the HOA still has power to do. So what I see happening is unfortunately a bunch of lawsuits, you know, um, to get HOAs to be more conforming. You know, we, we saw the evolution of the state law from 2017 till 2020 of the problem children, you know, the, the areas where, you know, Pasadena said, of course you can have an ADU, but your minimum lot size must be over 10,000 square feet. Well, guess how many lots in Pasadena are over 10,000 square feet? Like five. You know, so it's kind of one of those, it's like the HOA is that next, that next frontier, so to speak, where I, I see the HOAs coming back and saying no, and then the homeowner says, but look, here's a state law, we raise it up to the state housing commission, we get the attorney general involved, you know, and, and then it's going to probably require a bunch of lawsuits, but who knows? TBD. Um, okay. So uh, Michael. Michael would like a referral to LA. So Monty, if you could make a note to send him uh, to Chris for the referral to LA. Um, next one, can an ADU possibly be built in an existing parking lot of a multifamily complex that currently has 30 units and about 28 parking spots? Remember that line I said, it's not clear cut. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, uh, unfortunately, you know, we have to know the municipality, which municipality you're working with, um, the address because zoning um, is address specific, you know. Even so she if, should reach out directly to you. Yeah, because yeah. it, it okay. really comes down to your location and zoning. Perfect, okay, next question. Chris mentioned no owner occupancy required until 2025. What happens in 2025? Those props are automatically grandfathered in and never require owner occupancy. Yep. Yeah, so we're, we're good until 2025, you're grandfathered in and uh, they're gonna reevaluate the, the law in 2025. Okay. Is RDG an architectural firm as well? Yes, yes we are. Yes, we've got, you know, we've got architects as part of our staff. We've got structural engineering, you know, we, we do all of our own permit processing because we really act as your advocate with the building department to get you those permits as quickly as possible. You know, we do a lot of commercial work um, with restaurants. So for those of you that have been down to Coronado, the Henry restaurant uh, is one of our designs. I'm and, very cool. Uh, if you see the Bonifraqueta garage right behind it, uh, we're actually working on the redevelopment of that entire block, including the garage. And um, also Bonifacetta and Liberty Station is one of our designs that got us an Orchid Award finalist nomination. So, you know, we're, we're a full service uh, architectural design firm. Perfect. Um, and then do you have a referral for Santa Barbara as well? You know what, I can reach out to my LA colleagues and see how far they extend. Okay, perfect. Um, so that was an anonymous attendee. If you if you want, you can look up Rulin Design Group, and Chris will actually have her contact info here, um, and send her an email so she can get you connected with someone in Santa Barbara. Um, okay, next question: What is an average cost to build a 750 square foot one bedroom ADU? 
Okay, let me bring up my calculator. Uh, so, two hundred fifty bucks a square a, a square foot, right? Two hundred fifty bucks a square foot. You, you know, so he's a mortgage math. guy. He can do the math. Okay. <laughs> two hundred fifty so, bucks. Someone, a else, someone else do the math for me, but perfect. You know what it comes down to is you've like I mentioned, you got three buckets of cost. You've got design fees, you've got permit fees, and you've got construction fees. Your construction costs are by far your biggest bucket of money. You know, so the average is about two hundred fifty dollars a square foot. Your permit fees vary depending on which municipality you're in. Again, City of San Diego, no development impact fees at all. County of San Diego, no development impact fees. Um, other areas have development impact fees over 750 square feet. And then you've got your design cost depending on what it is you're actually designing. Okay, and then the next question is really similar. What can an owner expect to pay for an average one bedroom detached ADU or garage conversion? Um, I wanna just put this out there because there are a lot of apartment owners on this, on this um, meeting and uh, a lot of us use a variety of different people who have different costs than the average homeowner might pay. We all have our guys that we use. So um, I will say in the, uh, the case of the ADU that we helped um, our client with that we work mutually together on, um, we were able to help coordinate that um, renovation. And if you have your own people who do, you know, apartment apartment stuff and they've got their apartment pricing versus the contractor homeowner pricing, you can probably get those costs down uh, pretty significantly. So that's really just up to you. I mean, I kind of would look at it as a rehab. And then, you know, if you want to be owner builder, uh, you can work with the city and look at the requirements to do that and probably save a lot of money. Um, we've had clients that have done it. So it's, it's really up to you and how much liability you want to take on if you want to get workers comp or, you know, those kinds of things. So it's, it's up to what you're comfortable with, but you can essentially have your own guys do the work if you want to do it as owner builder. So, yeah. And, and Crystal, that's a, ph a phenomenal point because, you know, there's a, a lot of variation out there. You know, we've seen some costs for ADUs over $300 a square foot and plus, and we've seen some costs for ADUs under 175. You know, if you've got your crew, great, go owner builder and knock it out, you know? So it, it's, there's, that's why it's like, everything is, these are all estimates because everything is so hard to say, you know, black and white of like, it'll cost you this much. Yep, and it depends on finishes and how crazy you want to get with all these things and, and all of that as a factor. So, um, okay, how is Chula Vista to work with now that the rules have changed? I think you mentioned they're, they're better to work with. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of scanning through the questions as I was talking and I was kind of like trying to poke in there a little bit. And then again, average cost for a simple ADU, the average is 250 bucks a square foot, but uh, could vary depending on finishes and what type of people you're working with, companies and things. Um, how do we legalize existing ADU units? Any specific requirements other than parking? A lot of requirements. Um, you know, that, that's where, you know, as I mentioned with unpermitted spaces or existing units, the building department wants to see the full set of plans, you know? So if your garage convert, you know, conversion was done 20 years ago, well, the building department thinks it's a garage and the building department wants to see the details of the plans that says, how am I converting this garage into this livable, livable, habitable space? So there's going to be about 25 pages of your plans that we create even just for a garage conversion to give to the city, including structural engineering, because, you know, structural engineering, if we think about it, you've got your garage door at some point was framed over and you've got other windows and other doors that were poked into the walls that may be original, may not be original. 
So uh, the building department doesn't really care that it's done. It doesn't really care that someone's living in it. They want to see the details. And so there's a lot, a lot of requirements, setback, um, building code, you know, uh, energy requirements, parking requirements, and the, the list is, is quite lengthy. They, they, you know, they considered a brand new build. And I will say um, to that point, um, you are working with another one of our clients and friends on a uh, unit that was built unpermitted over a garage. It was existing space. Five garages. Uh, over, built over five garages. So you are actively working on projects that would be similar to some of the questions that are coming up. So you're actively working through some of these things with the city. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of our projects are already converted unpermitted spaces. Perfect. And we've had success, as I mentioned, in, in terms of getting them permitted because there's just so many units out there that people are like, that's the quickest, easiest thing is I've got this unit, let's get it permitted. And in this particular case, I mean, just looking at it from an investor standpoint and a lender standpoint, we really pushed our client to do this because he was thinking about selling the building and LTV was an issue when it came to financing. So A, it's an unpermitted space, so great, you get this bonus income, but most people need a higher loan to value than what he would, that they were able to get because there was so much income coming off of this unit. So now that he's working with you to get this legalized, you know, the, the strategy or the goal is to get it as a legal unit. That way it can be marketed. It can be sold based on that value and a lender can give a loan based on including that income. So um, it's definitely worth looking into. It sounds like there's a lot of details you've got to work through with people, but it's certainly worth them looking into because if they can get it as legal space, there is a lot of benefits to that. So I know, yep. I know it can be a nightmare and it takes a little bit of time to get this process done, but if I can add hundreds of thousands of dollars of value to my property, I'm certainly going to be talking to you about doing that. So, yeah. So um, next question, I have a duplex property with an unpermitted remodeled studio. I also have a nine unit building with unpermitted remodeled studio. Is my money best spent on getting the nine unit building studio permitted since I can't afford to do both now? Uh, it's, 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 I mean, it's tough to say it's, um, where's your nine unit? Where's your duplex? And is the duplex can, you know, is that, are you, is it duplex plus an unpermitted unit? I think that's what it is. It just depends um, where it's located and how much value you're going to, where you're going to get more value out of it. That's me. Coming from an investor standpoint, I will tell you, I would say that it's probably better off to do the nine unit building because of the way appraisals are viewed and because of our theory behind multifamily five plus units has always been, if you can increase the income, you add value because we go based on cap rate, which is based on NOI. So one to four unit properties are appraised differently. So I would say your money is probably better spent on the nine unit building because now you can count that income, which would add value that lenders and appraisers would recognize uh, more easily than the one to four. Yeah. That would be my advice. Commercials recognizing it more. So whatever she said. Yes. Um, okay. So next one regarding owner occupied, if you build an ADU, then in the future, no longer owner-occupy, will there be added restrictions? Yeah, so right now, if you build an ADU, no owner-occupancy requirements um, from now until 2025. So it's hard to tell what's gonna happen in the future. Um, we'll have to see how the pendulum swings. You know, what we've seen so far is everything is, we still don't have enough housing. 
we need to make it easier for homeowners and investors to add housing. So, if if they build an ADU this year and then in 2026 they decide to move out of their house, it's their fine. grandfathered in. Their grandfathered yeah. in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I understand the ADU rules if you are building a standalone structure, but how does it differ for permits versus if you just built a non-ADU structure? Aren't they the same, basically? The accessory dwelling unit is actually its own entity, and it's, it's quite different from a standard dwelling. Say, for instance, you have a multi-zoned lot and you want to add a second dwelling. Your setbacks, parking, permit fees, um, are all very different than an accessory dwelling. You know, the accessory dwelling is, you know, your maximum 1,200 square feet, but you save on setbacks, you save on parking, you save on permit fees. So they are absolutely different, um, but the kind of, if you want to call it the base building code of what, you know, structurally has to pass, they're the same, but there's a lot more benefits in accessory dwelling because of the state trying to push for affordable housing and, and the biggest drivers there are, are pretty much permits, um, setbacks and parking are the, some of the biggest drivers. Would you say that you're saving time on getting permits approved and plans approved? Not necessarily, not necessarily time because they still have to go through the same review process. So cost and setbacks and things like that. Yeah, it's cost definitely and parking. Setbacks can be huge. You know, some people are like, I've got this garage that is, you know, if you lean against it, it might fall over. So let's just scrape it, put a new garage and then put an ADU with it. Well, if you're on a tight lot with not a lot of room, if you scrape that garage and say, I'm going to put up, you know, a new, a new garage, you have a five foot setback. And if that garage was like an older garage and on the property line, let's remodel the garage, keep that zero setback, and then create a new, better improved garage with the ADU. So the setbacks can, can make or break some projects. And you definitely, you know, before you scrape something, you know, take, take, a, take a moment to think, what are your setbacks? Because we, you might lose a lot of footage with the setbacks if you scrape an existing garage. Well, they should talk to you before they scrape anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Okay, um, next question. Container buildings built from 20 to 40 foot containers possible? Don't know much about container buildings. You know, they're, they're kind of on the fringe there. I see some cool designs. I don't quite know how they got through the building department. Um, so can't speak to them too much. Okay. What about, um, also to, I was talking to somebody today, they're talking about you can, you know, buy these prefab houses and you, they drop them and all that. Do you, have you done any of those? Yeah, so uh, we've not done any prefab or uh, modular uh, units. Uh, they, they're interesting and you would probably know a little bit more at least with your context in terms of lending because there can be lending challenges by having a prefab unit or, or modular unit. Um, again, they may work for some people, but you know, they're, they're kind of pre-designed and then what if you don't like that design and then you got to crane them in. And so yeah, roof that crane, you know, so, uh, you know, we've, we've, is, is the value there? And I don't think we've really seen that yet with the modular kind of more mobile home type prefab manufactured home. It's 
they're making them much nicer, that's for sure, but I'm, I'm not sure the value is there. And so we've, we've not seen many of them. I feel like you see that more in other cities, but we just haven't really seen it a ton in San Diego yet. Yeah, I think you get hit on the value for sure. And lending is definitely more of yeah, a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, does the Coastal Commission weigh in on already existing unpermitted units? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, very, very much so. Um, the Coastal Commission, if you're in the Coastal Commission area, yay that you've got some great beach property. But, ooh, Coastal Commission right now, they, even if you have an existing um, unit, like, for instance, I'm working with a homeowner up in Point Loma in Coastal Commission, has a guest quarters, which is that kind of pre-ADU, which is a bedroom and a bathroom. And he's like, hey, I want to rent this out to my son's college friends. You know, let's put a kitchenette in it and make it an ADU. I'm like, absolutely, we can do that but you have to go through the Coastal Commission. And so the Coastal Commission definitely is gonna weigh in on that. Um, right now, it's a lengthy nine to 12 month process and an expensive $16,000 potentially um, permit for just the Coastal Commission, not including the city permits. But the good news is we are hearing rumors that maybe sometime uh, next year they're, they're gonna be changing that. So, you know, if, if you've got the value, go for it. We've got at least a dozen projects in the Coastal Commission uh, review process right now, but it's unfortunately not cheap and it's definitely not fast. Okay. Um, if, if you're building a standalone structure as an ADU anyway, is there a reason not to make it a two-story and do two ADUs? Well, yes, absolutely, because it depends on your property. So... Um, your single-family zoned lot, you can only have one ADU, so you can't necessarily make that. Um, if, say, for instance, it might be owner-occupied, and, and this is particularly like your property, we can create a two-story unit, one story can be the ADU, and one story can be a guest quarters, you know, so for your in-law, you know, your, your in-law can be living, you know, in the, the guest quarters, um, and then have a rentable ADU. So typically, you a single-family lot cannot have two ADUs. They can have an ADU and a junior. And multifamily will have to see if you can do two ADUs. If two ADUs are allowed, then by all means, we can do a two-story, one on top. Um, we're looking at a design like that in um, Old Town. And if, if we're going to go two-story, if you think about it, we're actually going to do two side-by-side -side units that are two-story versus one on the bottom, one on the top, because there's value in not having someone living above you. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that kind of design consideration where we're building a two-story structure, but the units are side-by-side -side for the two units. So that's that's where we look at um, the more rentability instead of being like, oh, someone's living above me, you're not going to get as much rent as if oh, I get my cute little two-story unit all by myself over here. Interesting. <laughs> um, Daniel had two questions. They were for LA. So Monty, you can put him on the list for the LA referral. Um, does rent need to be reduced for low income? It does not. Um, the accessory dwelling unit, you, you don't have to have a specific rent. Um, there is a uh, thing with the city of san diego housing commission that has a program where they will 
uh, and I don't know too much about it, but if you, you know, subscribe to committing to more affordable rent, that they will um, benefit you in terms of the permit fees or, or offset some of the fees and so forth. I don't know too much about the program um, that does exist with the City of San Diego Housing uh, Commission, but in general, you, you do not. Okay. Uh, if max is 1,200 square feet, can I build three, three 400 square foot units instead? I love it. Um, <laughs> yes and no. So the max is 1,200 square feet, but if you're allowed one ADU, you get one ADU. Um, if you're allowed two ADUs, then we can look at what's allowed. If Because there's other things that come into play about lot coverage and floor area ratio and things. Um, if you can have two 1,200 square foot units or if it makes sense to make two 800 square foot units or two you know, 400 square foot units. But it, it really is, if you're allowed one ADU, you're allowed one ADU. If you're allowed two ADUs, then the next you know, requirements kick in. So you would basically assess their property specifically and try to you know, see how many ADUs they could actually put on there. And this comes down to that best and highest use. You know, we look at the maximum number of units and then it's like, okay, if you can have two units, what does that mean to you then? Do you want three bedroom units, two bedroom units? You want two studios. You know, if you can have 2,000 square foot units, what's that right combination? You know, what do you, what do you want to maximize that? Do you want to save room for parking and charge more or not? Um, it comes down to construction costs too, um, whenever you're adding more units as well. So. Absolutely, and construction costs and then number of bathrooms are, are a very expensive part of the construction costs. So um, it, it really comes down to the number of units you're allowed and then the size is driven with other restrictions. Okay. Um, are there unique laws, regulations, requirements regarding how much rent you can charge for ADUs versus non-ADUs? I think the answer was no. Um, okay, duplex in LA. Daniel will get the information uh, for the LA person. And it looks like we're down to our last question. Uh, have you seen multifamily properties allow more than two ADUs uh, in San Diego so far? Not so far, the, the, but this is just the ones that we're working on. Um, I'm seeing our multifamily units with two ADUs, but um, uh, we just haven't dealt with any other projects that may be um, allowed more. Yeah, I think uh, like for me, uh, for example, I've seen in San Francisco, it seems like they're extremely friendly on ADUs. So I oh, see people yes. making ADUs out of the craziest spaces and things. And um, so it sounds like it's too early to tell since the law is only six months old and uh, half of that we haven't even really been able to work. Um, we're still not working at full capacity yet. So maybe in the future we might see multiple ADUs added, but so far the max is two that you've seen so far. From just what I've seen, correct, yes. Okay. So Chris, final question um, from us is anybody that's like potentially has a property currently with an unpermitted unit are gonna buy one. Is there any, any before maybe they're gonna call you and there's like, is there any red flags you're like, hey, if your property has this, I can tell you right now, there's just no way it's gonna get approved. Any red flags you can tell us about? You know, the red flags I look at things that just make it more complicated. You know, um, I look at things like uh, one particular property, the red flag is it's a, a multifamily property. It's uh, the garage was illegally converted and then like a storage room was illegally converted. And it's this massive 
building now that is encroaching the setbacks. Um, so this is the city of San Diego. So the city of San Diego allows you to encroach a setbacks up to 30 linear feet. And this one looks like it's more, you know, so for me, I look at the red flag and I'm like, that might be a problem, but the solution is we just take the corner of it and move it in, you know, so the, the red flags are typically like, okay, how do we address this? You know, um, county properties, there's a lot of county properties and uh, septic systems. It's not a red flag. It's just, okay, we might have to address the septic, you know, um, situation for this. Multifamily, if the zoning has changed over the years, you know, what can we do with the current zoning? Because the building department only cares about the current zone. So you can have multiple units, yet still be zoned single family, but you're like, you have six units already. So, you know, it really comes down to how do we work within the constraints? You know, what, what do we need to tweak? You know, I've got an existing garage that I'm converting, but I want to add on to it. Well, let's just pop it out a little bit, A, so you can get around to build the construction and then not be on top of the property line. And you can still create that unit. You know, you can create that extra unit or a couple extra units. So the red flags, I look at where, if, where the existing unit is located. Um, I look at which building department it is. I look at how big it is. Um, you know, cost-wise, I look if you're on a steep hillside, that's just going to be expensive. So you're thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, $50,000 slam dunk. I mean, I've had people come to me of like, I want to build a two-story, 1,200-square-foot unit, and my budget's $70,000. i am like, okay, <laughs> good for you. That's a red um, flag. <laughs> so that's a red flag, you know. So, um, but otherwise, it's, it's how do we manipulate the situation to, to get it to pass? Yeah, basically what you're saying is not one size fits all. These are these can be very custom. Just because you have something wrong with this mean it cannot be manipulated or moved or constructed differently. So basically to kind of in this guys is if you have something, this is why there's professionals like you, Chris. Um, reach out to you, reach out to your firm and you know, let them come look at your property and you know, hire somebody like you so you can get the job done. And um, I think that's it. I, I appreciate your time. I think we covered a lot of stuff, a lot of questions. I mean, I know I learned a lot. I'm sure Crystal too and everybody else. Um, thank you so much for your time. And before we go, what is the best way? I know we're going to email you out. What is the best way to find out more information about you and to contact you? Uh, the easiest is our website. There's a contact us on the website and it's info at rulindesigngroup.com. Okay, cool. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. And uh, I just wanted to mention one more time that we will be emailing this out to everybody who participated so they could have access to um, all of the information to refer back to and then specific questions should be directed to you so you can help them out. Excellent. Cool. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.